Hello, welcome to Train of Thought. My name is Rob Tobias. My guest today is Christine Lorenz. Welcome. Thank you. Um, we've known each other here a little bit locally. I know you've done massage and you work for ORI, is that mm-hmm. right? Oregon I worked Research. for ORI 31 years. 31 years, almost to the end, I hear. To the end this week. Yeah, and you've done a little bit of traveling, and that's something we're going to talk about. One of your trips, you went to Australia. I did. And uh, went to, a, tell me about that the initial trip. You went to Australia and... I went to Australia in 2017 at the invitation of Terry Irwin, the Irwins, who, as you know, her husband was the crocodile hunter. Oh, wow. And she is a friend of mine for about 23 years. R- did you know him as well? Or I met him once. I uh-huh. knew him um, until, of course, his death in 2004. Uh-huh. But I was, uh, I've known the family for a while. And in about 10 years ago, Terry and Mindy and Robert started lobbying me to come visit Australia. When are you going to come? When are you going to come? And finally, in this February of 2017, I relented and said, okay, when should I come? And they said, September. So that was my first, finally, I'm going to go. So I went as their guest in September of 2017. I went for two weeks, had an amazing time. Um, lots of experiences at the Australia Zoo and really had no idea the breadth to which uh, that would be treated so kindly and almost as VIPs. I traveled with Bob, my sweetie, and we had interactions. We Every day we had a tour guide and um, we had a photographer and we um, had in- interactions with the kidneys, which are anteaters, and we had a red panda interaction, and we'd have one-on-one interactions. We walked with a tiger named Delilah for an hour on our second day there, which is a rare thing to do. Because they're connected, or they maybe they're part of the zoo, or they're connected. They're, to it's zoo, their zoo. So they, yeah. Steve started the reptile and snake zoo way back decades ago, and when Terry met him in ninety-two, ninety-three, he had just named it the Australia Zoo, and was starting to expand and take on more and more acreage. And so at the time in 2017, it's a huge zoo. The thing that makes the Australia Zoo unique, and so Terry, as his widow, and Bindi and Robert run it. I see. With a staff of 440 people. And it's unique because instead of having cages, they have acreage and areas. So you have to take a tram out to Africa, and there's seven acres where the zebra and the giraffe and the rhino are. And the lemurs have their own island, Bindi's Island. And the tigers have three acres that they roam and live in. And if they choose to come around to the pond behind plexiglass at any time, then people can see them playing. So things aren't caged. And they are, many of them rescue animals. And the Sumatran tigers, which are almost extinct, are rescues or from other zoos, and they've had a successful breeding program with the tigers. So they do this huge thing that's for profit, which is the Australia Zoo. So it sounds like it's out in the country a little bit. Is it near some of the metropolitan areas? Or? It's an hour north of Brisbane I see. in Queensland, and uh. it's in a small place called Birwa, uh-huh. which has one grocery store, uh-huh. <laughs> two uh- coffee shops, and a liquor store. <laughs> Um, and restaurants. So he created this whole sanctuary. It's a sanctuary. It's a sanctuary and a zoo. Yeah. And a zoo but the he was famous as the crocodile hunter, and he had a TV show about rescuing 
crocs. And yeah. his whole mission is to bring awareness to these apex predators, crocodiles. And they have a whole Steve Warwin preserve north in Cairns, uh, where they, north of Cairns, where they go every year for the month of August to tag crocs. They are now tagging and following 77 crocs and showing the patterns of the crocs and their behavior has changed research the whole world about that. But the zoo has grown and grown as in terms of rescuing other animals. And in 2004 or five, wait, I can't remember the date, they built the Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital and started the Wildlife Warriors, which is the nonprofit wing of the zoo. So this is a big deal. It's one of the biggest zoos. Wildlife warriors, you said? Warriors, like a warrior. Uh You're a wildlife warrior. And the wildlife warriors are the nonprofit wing, and they're all about animal rescue, animal rehab, and re-release. Yeah. So you went and visited your friend and got this tour of the hospital, and you decided at some point, after you came back maybe, that you'd go back back and, and volunteer? Yes. I was toured through the hospital the first time in 2017 by Robert Irwin, who is an amazing young man. And he took great pride, Steve Steve Irwin's son, son. Spitting Image. Yeah, yeah. And he took great pride in showing the hospital and all that they do there. And I was very impressed, even though it was a one-day visit. So when I came back from two weeks of being treated with all these amazing animal interactions by the Irwins, I came back to the States and in the end of September, and at Thanksgiving that same year of 2017, when Terry came back to town, she came over to visit, and I said, I'd like to, I want to be a wildlife warrior. I just blurted it out. And I said, I want to work at the hospital. I want to volunteer. I want to come during trauma season, which is spring there, which is September, October, November. And she said, that would be amazing. I think as a massage therapist, you have great skills with healing. And oh my gosh, yay. So I returned in September of 2018. Yeah. Um, to Australia. How awesome. So volunteer, uh, I'm sure it's, they put you to work. They put me to work. Um, I thought that I was going to go over and uh, fluff the auras possibly of a koala or two or um, maybe uh, an echidna, which is friendly, hopefully not a binturong, which is not native to Australia. I And Terry said, you'd be so good with animals. I had no idea when I got there that I was handed a uniform and trained as a koala assistant person, which meant cleaning the koala enclosures. Yeah. And that's where the work is because they have so many koalas that they're rehabbing. So I was working five days a week, eight hours a day, sweating, hauling equipment, scrubbing, cleaning, sweeping, hosing, and cleaning up after the koalas. Yeah. Uh, we don't have koalas around here, but they, they look cute, but I imagine there's a side to them that's, that isn't as cute. They're pretty cute, <laughs> and they are adorable. Yeah. When they're sick or injured, they are in a, all of a sudden, they go from being in the hospital, which is a small enclosure. Maybe they're in a cage that's three feet by two feet while they're healing, or they have an IV, or they've got a broken arm. Or, and then they're put out into the wards, which are... 12 enclosures, six feet each. And that's where they are healed and brought back to a state that they could possibly be re-released. I see. And the nurses check them every day. And those wards are what need to be cleaned. And the 
koalas are many, and they're cute unless they're upset or hurt or injured. And then you have to just be careful when you're cleaning their cage that they don't take a swipe at you unwittingly, reaching for their their eucalyptus branch or something. But 90% of them are not and the nature, uh, they're gentle? or They're gentle. Uh-huh. They just chew eucalyptus leaves all day long and sit in their tree and hunch over. Yeah. And they're not aggressive. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. I know I wanted to talk. At some point, uh, you had this calling maybe came when, from your childhood. You were, Talk about your dad because your dad started something. Well, you grew up in Florida? I grew right? up in Florida in a small town called Jensen Beach, which is about 100 miles north of Miami. Yeah. And when I was... Five years old, um, I moved to Florida at three. When I was five, my dad started becoming interested in the sea turtles, which were facing uh, not extinction, but their numbers were dwindling even back then because of the encroachment of civilization and the difficulty of sea turtle life. When a sea turtle um, comes onto the beach and lays her eggs, there are poachers that collect the eggs in terms of people. Mm. There are poachers in terms of um, raccoons. And then when the eggs hatch, they have to, the little ones have to get toward the ocean. If they go the wrong way, they burn up in the dunes. And they uh, get down toward the water and birds pick them off. They get into the ocean and there's all kinds of predators. So a nest of eggs, of 40 eggs, you might get one or two turtles if you're lucky. So my dad started the Jensen Beach Turtle Watchers Club. Wow. And he started being a conservator of the sea turtle back when I was five. So that was my first inspiration was my father. I got to see them, I think, Tortuguera in, in um, Costa Rica. Oh, there, yeah. there's, a, there's a spot where that you can watch them. But I know that's kind of an isolated place and away from civilization a right. little bit. So it's nice that... Some places like that exist, but I and can understand in, in Florida there is more pressure. And turtles worldwide, if they there's a place off of the there's an island called Eli, Lady Elliot Island off of Brisbane, and there's um, the Pedro San Pedro. There's a place off Texas, and there are places that are preserves or areas where turtles have more of a chance. But the problem is, once they get in the ocean, the oceans are filled with trash and plastic and fishing line. And the turtles, if they survive, the main turtle injuries that are brought into Australia Zoo are fishing line wrapped around. They lose a flipper from mm-hmm. gangrene. They have plastic bags, pounds of it in their gut, and it causes them to float and not being able to go beneath the surface, as just to name a few. Um. So that was a little bit of your background, at least yeah. exposed to what your what your, the the turtle watching club your dad started mm-hmm. back in in your childhood. But um, take let's go back to Australia and your time at the at the animal hospital. Um, what other you were talking talking about koalas, but there, what other animals are, are are typically in that hospital? So koalas are the most prolific there because. Their injuries are the most rehabable and fixable. Mm-hmm. There are <clears throat> rarely a kangaroo is brought in, but adult kangaroos have a lot of cardiac events once they're in captivity or trying to be helped, and 80% of them don't make it. Mm. But they have joeys or babies in their pouches, and those joeys can be saved and raised by carers who volunteer at the Australia Zoo 
Wildlife Hospital, and they put them in little pouches and keep them warm and feed them milk and get them to an age or size where they can be either uh, released as young adults or brought to the zoo to the kangaroo area, which is huge, and they are humanized and used to being around adults and aren't kicking or jumping or being crazy, and then people can come through and interact with the kangaroos in their area. But in general, kangaroos are a little more high-strung. They're high-strung. They're not as human. They don't want to hang out with humans so much. Right. And the other, so turtles are brought in constantly to the zoo. The zoo just finished completion three months ago of a turtle area, which is this huge pool that they had built. For a while, the turtles were in a pool in a home house inside the zoo property. Now they have a huge turtle area with smaller ponds, medium ponds, this huge swimming pool, and it's right behind the hospital where they can get care. The other animals commonly brought in are possums, snakes, birds, lots of birds. (laughs) We had a large pelican one day brought in, and um, things that have become entangled again with the ocean's pollution. And You mentioned something in your... uh Article you wrote an article for is it called Crikey? Crikey. That's a Australian magazine or what yeah. is that? Is you it have a, to say it like Steve would say it. Crikey Cri- means it, oh my gosh. Is or, it connected with wow. the zoo or hospital? Yes, Crikey is a quarterly magazine that is the Wildlife Warriors publication. I see. So Australia Zoo Wildlife Warriors is the nonprofit wing of the zoo, and they put this publication out four times a year. Yeah. I mentioned it because you, you, I wrote an article for it, and you, you mentioned you were talking about birds. You mentioned some uh, bird, whip birds. Yes. So in my blog, which you oh maybe read that's part of it. I, maybe that's these where I got whip it. birds. The first day I was at the house that I stayed in, that Terry provided for me to stay in behind Africa, just behind Africa, were these whip birds, and they sound just like laser um, or some kind of radar equipment. And they make these laser sounds, and it it was, what is that? And they said, oh, those are the whip birds. So there's a lot of sounds in Australia, and especially in um, by in the zoo and where I was staying behind Africa that you heard. Oh, so you stayed right near the zoo. I stayed right behind the back of the zoo. So across the street, behind some prickly, thorny things that people can't get to are the rhinos and then across this other fence was the tigers oh, wow. and beyond that etc so at night i would hear the tigers going oh, yeah. oh, at <laughs> two in the morning yeah. and you could hear the chomping munching grass of the rhinos across the street and it was quite exciting um there's a nice quote uh maybe it was in your blog or article it was in my article and i actually uh, wrote the quote oh you wrote it uh-huh uh, should I read it or do you, you want to sh- say it? You should read it. All right. Kindness, calm, and compassion are the building blocks of caring and healing. Wow. Say, say more about that quote because there's a lot in there. So my background is 30 years ago I read a book called Peace, Love, and Animal Healing. And it talked about how important it was. The guy was an acupuncturist and a vet. To be calm inside and projecting that calm and making a non-verbal connection with an animal that's sick. And if you can be calm, as parents know with children, the other, the child or that animal will be calmer. If you're upset, the animal's going to respond in kind. So kindness, calm, and compassion seem to me the three most important words 
to do caring and healing. And I think the reason I got further than most volunteers would get is because I took that approach with all the sick animals that I was working with. And you just make eye contact, no verbal, and think the most calm healing thoughts you can, and the koala would calm down. So I was asked to work with upset, aggressive, and dangerous at wow. the time koalas, and I would come in and just do this mind meld kind of thing with them. Yeah, it is amazing what nonverbal communication can mean, you know. Mm -hmm. Animals especially have this have another sense. I know I, we have a, a dog in the room with us. I have kind of a new dog, Tessa, and she had rehomed at age three or three and a half. Uh, a little bit of stress, you know, a little bit of, uh, she picks up on everything, but I think what you're talking about is like if they know there's not fear in the room, they they sense that. There's a, animals have a, have a sense about that. There was, I'll tell you this short little story. There was a sign on one of the koala's enclosures that said aggressive staff only exclamation point in red. Hmm. So I was told not to go in and clean that enclosure. But my koala keeper, who is a paid staff member, Chrissy, said, well, if you can get in there and just pull out the old eucalyptus branches, that would be great. So I stood there outside the enclosure making eye contact with this koala. He immediately calmed down and quit screeching. I went in and cleaned two thirds of the room, the, his enclosure, when a nurse came up and said, you're not supposed to be in there, that's staff only, get out. And I said, actually, Chrissy said I could try. And she said, he's calm. I said, yes, I am doing a calming technique. She said, what are you doing? And I told her, and she said, this is amazing. I have to come back and give him a shot in an hour. Can you? Can you? Can I bring you back into this ward? I said, sure. So the next day I could clean his entire enclosure, making eye contact with him, and he calmed down. But later that day she came and got me, and I stood outside and made contact. She came in behind him, gave him his shot, left. She said, every day I'm going to come get you. So I became known as the koala calmer <laughs> on the volunteer staff. That's great. Um... I'm sure they miss you then, you know, who's, who's there to calm them now? Exactly, and <laughs> also, um, usually you don't do any other tasks where you're interacting with the sick koalas, like feeding or bottom washes, but on day five, I had expressed interest in what page 15 of the manual indicated, get your paste ready in the morning, and I asked about it and was told, oh, you have to be here for months before you feed a sick koala. But the next day, my keeper said, um, the hospital director wants to see what you've got. And she trained me how to get this three mil syringe and pull up from the 20 mil paste jar and put it in the mouth of the koala a little bit at a time, feed it, wipe its face with a wet washcloth. And I was successful at it. So from that moment on, I fed two sick koalas twice a day, morning and afternoon. And I did that for the duration of my time there. So if you have skills, they'll allow you to do more but i was an unusual case how, so how long were you there six weeks six weeks uh -huh. and i worked five days a week eight hours a day oh wow well um <laughs> yeah it's a full experience <laughs> it's yeah. the hardest thing i've ever done yeah yeah physically challenging um so any plan i i hear you know you're close to retirement with uh ori what's um uh, What's coming up? Any plans to do anything like this or connect, connected with this at all? I'm looking for a local opportunity to volunteer with animals. Um, obviously, Green Hill is the obvious one, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of people that volunteer because dogs and cats are cute. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the Raptor Center, although I don't think I can um, 
you know, give live rats to birds, it would make me upset, but maybe something in another area. Um, I'm not done with the Australia Zoo, but I can't go back and do that level of difficulty at my age. Right. I just turned 68. I was the oldest person they ever had as a volunteer <laughs> at 67. Um, and it took me a couple months for my hands to recover. But the thing is, is doing that volunteer work, wherever you are, I went to the zoo and went all the way across the world because I knew the Irwins, but I wanted to find that place in me that could be bigger inside and volunteer and help something that was smaller and ill. And it's part of my DNA. And it was very inspirational to go and help them with their mission. But you could find someplace local too. And I'm still deciding what that would be. I will go back to the zoo. I just won't be able to work in the qual enclosures for eight hours a day. You touched on it because I did see it. Maybe on your blog, uh, mm-hmm. you said something about, you know, the big changes in you or in, in others and to become bigger people. To you become know. bigger people inside. I think that was in my article. Um, yeah. It is not as hard as someone thinks to volunteer, to take first one step, then another step. And take an hour a week, two hours a week, a day a week, whatever you have to make the world a better place. And the Irwins are huge examples of this. They live and breathe everything they do. And when I saw Bindi after five weeks, and she said, how has it been in the koala enclosures? And I said, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And Bindi said, people think that coming here to the zoo is pink butterflies on your shoulders all day long. And it's not pink butterflies on your shoulders. It's mucking and working and facing heartache, looking at the koala with one eye, looking at the koala with mange mites on his face, going in anyway, even though your heart is breaking, and being strong enough to do that, face that heartache, let it change you and make you that bigger person inside and feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Yeah. Hospitals, I mean, I don't like really like in any hospital myself, but there, you know, there's amazing healing going on. People make it, and then people, animals, whoever, don't make some it. Some don't make it. And know. I've worked with death and dying since I was 19. I've worked with people doing massage who are in the last stages of their life. I've massaged them. I've been with five people when they died. And it's not easy. But again, what makes us step up to the plate? and be that bigger person, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it's not comfortable or pink butterflies. Yeah. And these aren't endangered species necessarily, and, and yet I'm sure the end-of-life stuff is still t- very tough. It's decision. tough, and you know, the nurses and staff, the paid nurses and doctors at the wildlife hospital, there were days when all of a sudden my koala keeper and one of the nurses was not on the ward. And I w- had a question, and where are they? And someone gestured with their chin to the hospital, and they said, Washington is the name of one of the calls, is being put down because he's riddled with cancer, or they can't help him anymore, or this koala's in pain. And you go in, and those nurses, two of them at least, sometimes three people, are standing, holding, touching the animal while they're being put down Mm -hmm. and they're all crying and we all cry and you cry every day and then there are the success stories the next week another koala is being re-released in the wild and they're lining the halls and applauding as he's wheeled out the door to his 
care that's going to take him back to the same tree he was found in. So it's that up and down thing yeah. where you have the strength inside to look it in the eye. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you uh, had that experience and are sharing it with us a little bit. Most people don't get to go to Australia. It's so far. It's on the other side of the world. Um, it's so far. We live in, you know, rainforest or whatever, our, our beautiful environment. What, what area, what's that area? Just to give us a glimpse of what that area is like where the zoo is. Northern Queensland is called, well, that area on the coast is called the Sunshine Coast. And the sun shines a lot there. It's beautiful. The water is incredible. Even inland, it's there's several types of forests and biospheres. I had a chance to go to Murakan there, property that's eight hours from Brisbane inland, where Steve bought 30,000 acres, and there's kangaroos running wild and other animals. And it's varied, but it's, it's very beautiful in that area. And so that's temperate. It was warm. There were, like I said, all kinds of birds and parrots and things. They're wild, flying around all the time. Mm-hmm. And the um, the Irwins, I just, again, wanted to say about the zoo, you can find things to do local, but you can also, the Wildlife Warriors is worldwide, and there are many, many people who donate to that cause because of the work they're doing. They have um, thousands of acres in different parts uh, they have a lot of area in Tasmania that they bought and turned into a preserve. Um, they're very active in the um, the uh, Tasmanian devil rehab because Tasmanian devils have a kind of cancer that's transmitted mm-hmm. um, by touch to another Tasmanian devil, and they're dying off at alarming rates. They're working with the uh, black mambas in South Africa, which are the anti-rhino poaching team of these um, women, and they go out with no weapons and undo the traps. And also the Akashinga warriors in Kenya who are anti-poaching. And they're very inspirational for the work they're doing. So whether it's far away, which is what I chose, or close by, you can, you can find something to do. And also, if you want to see cute stories on Facebook, the Australia Zoo Wildlife Warriors has a group that you can follow and they post pictures of some of the re-releasing of these animals and oh, turtles cool. and it's incredibly good site to follow uh we're talking about it online so I might as well mention that you do do a blog you said right? i had a blog oh. when i was in australia that you could read it's still up um i blogged while i was there I about things from the spiders which i don't <laughs> like to the little ticks that are there that don't carry Lyme disease, to the sounds and sights of Africa, and it was. Um, I see. So it's it's up. It's still up if you want to go uh-huh. there. It's I see. How do you find it? C e l a u s s i e dot wordpress dot com. dot wordpress dot com. I see. And we're almost out of time, but maybe just talk about the decision. You know, because sometimes it's kind of a big decision to just. I know you had a personal connection to the hospital and that, but to be back at home after this trip and then to say, I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to go volunteer. It was, you, you wrote well, about it as if it was a spur of the thing. Or, but, and well, volunteerism, just how, yeah, what to say to people that are thinking of volunteering, that kind of thing. It really doesn't take that much except 
uh, an inspiration to do it. It doesn't matter about the money that you might step away from from your job because it's something you'll be thinking about the rest of your life. And for me, I had a dream, an actual physical dream that I was flying over the zoo and that I wanted to be a wildlife warrior. But manifesting that and taking the steps you need, it's really one of the most important things. And it doesn't matter that you step away from money for a while. That's not the most important thing. Awesome. My guest is Christine Lorenz. Thank you for sharing your stories. You're welcome. You've been listening to Train of Thought. My name's Rob Tobias. Until next time. Train of Thought is produced at Maximo Productions in Eugene. If you have comments or feedback or ideas for interviews, email me at rob at robtobias.com. <laughs>